back, or if you're a first-time listener, welcome aboard. I'm your host, Aiden, and we're here for another exciting episode of The Push-Pull Factor, the podcast where we hear real migration stories from real people. This week, we're speaking with a young student from Kazakhstan who's in university here in the United States, but attended high school in Singapore. So we're getting a very cool, unique experience, kind of synthesized from all over the world. It's a very insightful interview, and we hear from this young woman, Dina, and she opens up a lot about her country and her identity as a woman in Kazakhstan, you know, versus everywhere else that she has lived and experienced life. Now, Kazakhstan. It may be a country some of you have only heard from a little movie called Borat, but don't worry, that does get brought up in the interview, and we actually, you know, do get into it about how people of Kazakhstan feel about it. But it's actually a real country with, you know, real people and a real national anthem. Not the one from the movie, which actually got played at a sporting event, which is quite embarrassing. That also gets brought up. But Kazakhstan is part of an interesting region of countries in Central Asia. And I feel like all of the, you know, the stand countries over there that you, you haven't really heard of, you probably get confused. You know, they don't really, they don't really get remembered. Like, in what context do people really try to mention Uzbekistan or Kyrgyzstan? And, like, honestly, the only reason I know how to pronounce Kyrgyzstan is because I love political television shows and I learned how in, in Madam Secretary, so... I'm sh- and I'm sure, like, I'm actually butchering the pronunciation myself, so... And if you are interested in the region, you want a really good book recommendation. You know, on some of the geopolitics of the region, some of the local influence. How really things came to be in the, the post-Soviet world, because all those countries are very young. They were started in 1991. But the book in question is Dictators Without Borders, Power and Money in Central Asia. Should be available everywhere you can get books. You know, Amazon, your local bookstore, whatever you do. But, you know, it talks corruption, culture, society, and, you know, gives a little more insight into these countries. This is not a sponsored item, just a nerd in a book that I sought out and learned a lot from. I haven't even finished it myself. I still need to get through some of the other countries in it. But, you know, I'm exploring the idea of setting up a book club for the podcast or something like that. I'm still... You know, brainstorming the logistics and how this can play out. If that's something you'll be into, definitely let me know, and I'll definitely take off running. With that said, migration education. The part of the show where I provide a quick burst of information related to the field of migration and the country that we're discussing today. So this week we're centered on Kazakhstan, and there's actually... It's actually been an interesting development in the past few years because they've been beacon for migration in the region. So obviously, just, you know, highlight the region. Russia plays a big role because... Many of the countries have labor dependencies or economic dependency with Russia due to some former Soviet ties. So, you know, included with this are countries like Uzbekistan, Tajikistan, Kyrgyzstan, Turkmenistan. You know, all very close. Well, with an oil-driven boom to the economy, Kazakhstan has actually had a need for many migrant and some laborers. For many migrant laborers. And unlike Russia, they've been actually making laws that have been more conducive to migration in recent years. And they've actually been looking to export more and more in order to sustain the need for labor that they have developed. Some of the data used to track this outside of, you know, official migration reports and visas and registrations is looking at remittance that is sent back to certain countries. So remittance is money sent from someone living or working abroad to a family member back home. Monthly remittance is sent to Uzbekistan from Kazakhstan increased by 1.5 times in 2018, even doubling some months from 2017. So while official statistics can't fully capture the issue because, you know, people transfer money through in many ways and maybe in subtle ways or like back channel or maybe they often even use cryptocurrencies or like they even send money with friends and family members who are crossing the border. This was actually a very popular sentiment with migrants from Kyrgyzstan. 
However, some migrants from Uzbekistan actually had differing opinions because of an alleged high level of corruption and raids done by border officers in their country. But, you know, further diving into the remittance data has also revealed that labor migration in Kazakhstan is also very seasonal. So it spikes between May and October and also shows that you know, Kazakhstan can be a regional leader and provide jobs for other countries to make a name for itself and, you know, develop local leadership, build their economy, and also create some, you know, cultural diffusion. But it's been quite the interesting time for the nation. You know, they're crafting their national identity, building their brand, and it's exactly the perfect transition to listen to somebody who knows the country well and, you know, she was born and raised there. Dino is actually a fellow brother of my fraternity. Yes, a brother. It was a co-ed business fraternity. Look it up. They exist. I'm very excited for the world to hear this, and I'm very excited for the world to learn a little bit more about Kazakhstan. So, without further ado. Here with me today, I have Dina, currently a junior at Babson College, where I also attended. She was born in Kazakhstan and currently lives here in Massachusetts, where she attends school. Dina, how are you doing? I'm good. How are you, Aiden? I'm doing pretty good, you know, enjoying enjoying this nice day of recording. Excited to talk to you, excited to catch up. It's been, like it's been quite some time since we've chatted, so... Yeah, I'm so excited to hear from you. You were the first person I ever met from Kazakhstan, so I found that pretty interesting, as somebody who's into, you know, geography in the world. Yeah, I get that a lot, actually. Like, like how person. often? <laughs> uh, well, most of the time, especially in America, when I say I'm from Kazakhstan, the most common response is, oh, you're the first person I met from Kazakhstan. Mm, makes sense. I guess you're like a representative in that way. Right, but I guess, like, why do you think that is? Do a lot of people from Kazakhstan not travel or go to the United States in particular? Yeah, so first of all, our population is pretty small. Although we're the ninth largest country, our population is only like 18 million. And yeah, the country is located in Central Asia. So it's so America is really far for Kazakhs to travel to. So yeah, it's not often that you'll meet uh, a Kazakhstani person somewhere in the U.S. or like in a far country. But there is a traveling culture there. Like a lot okay. of Kazakh people like try to travel. It's just sometimes some places are a little too far. Yeah, that makes sense. And I feel like, I don't know, there's probably not a lot of direct flights to Central Asia, which you probably have to go through a bunch of different airports, which makes the flights a lot more expensive. I mean, I don't know. What, what's your experience coming here for college like? Yeah, so from my city, from Kazakhstan, there are barely any direct flights to anywhere, only like the big hubs. So from my city, I usually fly to either Frankfurt in Germany or Istanbul in Turkey. And from there, I get to other places. So to come to the U.S. right now, I have to fly through Istanbul, which is like a six-hour flight from Almaty to Istanbul and then a four-hour layover and then a nine-hour flight from Istanbul to Boston, which is quite a long travel so yeah i wouldn't expect a lot of people to want to do that you know that seems lofty that just sounds exhausting and i guess how was that experience like recently with covid like how was getting flights how was everything getting routed did you have no problems was it a lot of a hassle so yeah it's definitely more of a hassle than it used to be and especially that i only have one option of flights now i can only fly through istanbul and i used to be able to fly through frankfurt but they just stopped sending planes to our country until March. So there's definitely less options. It's a little bit more of a hassle. You have to 
uh, get a negative PCR to be able to travel. Uh, but it's good that people are taking precautions. But it's actually interesting that when I come to the U.S., like when I board a plane in Kazakhstan or in Turkey, they ask me for a negative PCR. But once I arrive in the U.S., the border doesn't really ask for my negative PCR, which is very interesting and concerning <laughs> because the cases in America are rising. Right, I, I'm laughing because it's I'm not I'm not surprised at all with what I've heard. Yeah, based on the statistics of COVID in the U.S., I'm not surprised that it's so lenient. Oh, that's that's the country we're living in. Hopefully they can get it under containment, but I don't know. So many people come in and out of the United States daily, but it, I think each state having their own rules is fucking us up. Yeah, probably. But hopefully with the new vaccine, it's going to get better. That's true. Uh, hope, hopefully things will be on the up and up in 2021. But we can take it back to your birth. What city in Kazakhstan were you born in? So I was born in Almaty, and that's where I was raised. And at around 15, I moved to Singapore. And then ever since then, so I moved to Singapore, finished my three years of high school there, and then came to the U.S. And I still go back to Kazakhstan at least twice a year. It's interesting to see how some things change and some things just really don't. So what has changed the most? Or like, What do you see change a lot from like when you go to school and you come back? So I think the biggest changes in Kazakhstan are, uh, so we're a developing country, so the economy is changing. Before I left Kazakhstan, we didn't have a McDonald's or a Starbucks. And only in like 2016 did they open the first McDonald's and Starbucks, which was revolutionary to us. Um, it's definitely like the the roads have been improving, like all those stereotypes about uh, de- developing like a less economically developed country. Yeah, it's been getting better. Like it's a lot prettier. We have bigger malls, better infrastructure, more technologies. Um, yeah, like even our banking systems, it's a lot more digitalized, which is incredible to see. But unfortunately, the mentality and just like a conservative mindset is something that is still predominant in Kazakhstan. By conservative, is it like religious in nature? Is it just like older and traditional because of like what people, because Kazakhstan used to be part of the Soviet Union. So I'm assuming the older generation has been through a lot and they probably, you know, repeat it to the younger generation over and over again. Yeah. So I think most of it is the old and traditional, as you said. And although Kazakhstan is not a very religious country on its own, a lot of people have been becoming more religious. I mean, because uh, religion was banned back in the Soviet Union. And now that uh, the country has been independent for 29 years, like it's our 30th year. So um, Islam, uh, like uh, the majority of the population are Muslim. So I think the conservativeness also comes from there. But yeah, I think it's mostly the old traditional ways. You have a large country with a small population, so I'm assuming everything's sort of centered in the capital. Like, like do any other things sort of go on in those other cities? Or like, have you been to any other cities in Kazakhstan? Mm-hmm. So our capital is currently it's called Nursultan, but maybe most people still remember it as Astana. Um, uh, so Almaty used to be the capital, but it's not anymore. But it's more like the economic capital. That's where okay. it's at. Um, obviously, there's like a lot more things in the capital in terms of like like the government is there. They like um, invest a lot into developing that city, but the 
businesses mostly bloom in Almaty. Like we have a lot more restaurants. We have just it's also much less colder. So I don't know Fahrenheit, but like in winter there's a twenty degree Celsius difference between the two countries, uh, between the two cities. So um, Astana is just significantly colder, and it's just not where people generally want to live. Um, there. Although there's a lot of investments to open parks, restaurants, and other entertainment things, but it's just because Almaty is an older city, we have more things. So, yeah, Almaty is like the non-capital place that's um, still developed. We have a few other cities that are also pretty developed, but unfortunately, I never got to visit them, so... I can't speak because I haven't seen it, but we have a city in the south that's pretty developed as well. They have a lot of things, so I should probably go check it out. Who knows, maybe by the time you get back to Kazakhstan, they'll have like a lot more. <laughs> yeah, no, a lot of people are starting to build things there because um, the Almaty market is pretty saturated at this point, so mm-hmm. they're trying, businessmen are trying to branch out to other cities as well. Yeah, I guess that's, like, one of the, like, I guess the joys of having a smaller, like, not a smaller, a younger country, because, like, a lot of the industries aren't developed, so there's a lot of, like, you know, new market opportunity for a lot of business people. Yeah, definitely, and being in Babson and Entrepreneurial School, um, I'm very excited to eventually go back to Kazakhstan and also start something of my own. I'll be excited to sort of read out and see what you're up to over there, because I, I know you'll be turning up Kazakhstan. I'll invite you so, so you can visit <laughs> all, all, all my businesses. Check it out. Honestly, I would love to. It seems, it seems dope over there, honestly. I, I've just, like, looked at pictures. Honestly, I, I kind of want to go to every country in the world, but I don't know, Kazakhstan in particular just seems interesting. But I, I have heard about the roads there, apparently. <laughs> Outside the cities, they're, just, they're not that good. Yeah, no, they, they aren't. But honestly, the nature, like, to get to the like beautiful nature places you kind of have to take some of these roads but because uh Kazakhstan is getting more touristy now and even the locals they really want to visit those like, beautiful nature places i don't i don't even know what to refer to them to so the government has been investing uh, money into actually improving those roads so i think um it's it's been getting better but yeah, I think the number one reason to visit Kazakhstan is for the nature. Like we have beautiful mountains, we have a canyon, we have a bunch of different, like unique, really pretty lakes. So that's even I haven't been to all these places. So I should go. You know, it's amazing what like untapped nature there is in the world because I haven't heard of any of this stuff, and I'm sure it's like breathtaking and gorgeous, and a lot of tourists would love the opportunity. Yeah, it's also far to travel to Kazakhstan. That's why our tourism is not that developed. Like, if it's far for us to travel to America, imagine traveling from America to Kazakhstan. And on top of that, there being a lot more other um, touristy countries that are a lot more famous for their tourism. Why would someone want to come to Kazakhstan? <laughs> I mean, I feel like it's not just Kazakhstan. It's like Central Asia in general. Like, no one really hears about that region. You don't think about tourism there. Like, you don't think about, like, yeah, let's go to spring break to Turkmenistan. Like, no offense. <laughs> Yeah, no, exactly. Is it, Central Asia is just really far, like very landlocked as well. So it's definitely much struggles with tourism more than other like coastal places.
that said is there like a relationship with migration in kazakhstan at all i know you mentioned like people like travel and there's definitely a bit of a travel culture but is there a presence of a lot of foreigners or like do people maybe go back and forth to countries like russia frequently um so in terms of migration no really we have a lot of expats that just work in the like for the multinational companies or that are um, invited to work at the international schools uh but in terms of migration no it's not very predominant there can be businessmen that have business in like uh russia belarus kazakhstan so they'd be traveling all over but no we don't really have a lot of migrants in kazakhstan when because we border china for example when covid first outbroke in china a lot of um chinese people tried to uh, come to kazakhstan and i think during say when kazakhstan has good sales like chinese people come for like shopping and everything um some korean people like to come for the golf courses because it's cheaper there so those things are pretty interesting but it's more like they'd come for a weekend or for like a few weeks rather than living here yeah no it's more like a tourism based thing yeah so I guess with Kazakhstan just like more general information like what languages are widely spoken are there any like special like national food I guess anything about life in Kazakhstan that would shock I guess the average person from America shock me mm, I have one um but I'll get to it so Kazakhstan is a uh, so Kazakh people they used to be nomads so we used to just like um ride horses and just migrate from one region to another all over Central Asia and then we ended up settling i guess in kazakhstan um but because it was a nomadic culture there weren't a lot of like there was no culture of growing food like growing crops like there was wheat all over like wheat all over kazakhstan but um no one really settled to grow these crops they were just traveling around and due to lack of variety of food the easiest meat to eat was um horses because um they're just there you, you ride a horse from one place to another it gets old you eat it so horse meat is a very common delicacy in Kazakhstan and you can probably see it on a breakfast lunch and dinner table in a typical Kazakh household i have tried uh horse meat it tastes really good it's really tender I feel really bad every time I think about eating <laughs> horse meat, but I think like if we're able to eat beef and like lamb, I feel like trying horse meat once in a country where it's they already kill those animals for meat. I think it's worth just trying it once because it's genuinely a really good tasting meat. And actually my favorite dish in the whole entire world is Kazakh. It's called beshbarmak, which means five fingers because as a nomad nomadic culture we didn't have utensils, so people mostly ate with their hands. So the uh, five fingers dish you have to eat it with your hands and it's basically um sliced pieces of dough, very thinly sliced pieces of dough as in like squares boiled with meat and potatoes and it's just like served as a very 
big meal for the whole family for the guests it's usually made in like bulk you can feed like 10 people with one portion easily and our national languages are considered kazakh and russian at the moment but uh, because of the Soviet influence, but the country is trying their best to shift from uh, the country being very uh, influenced by Russia to, so we're trying to switch to um, Kazakh as our main language. Um, I think it's going great. Most sco- In schools, it's mandatory to learn Kazakh, but it is not mandatory to learn Russian. Uh, the names of stores are getting transferred to kazakh so we're shifting to that direction and we're actually switching our alphabet from cyrillics which is the same alphabet as russian just with a few additional letters um to latin so it's going to be more like uzbek and turkish so that is going to be very interesting because not a lot of people in kazakhstan know english so switching from a cyrillic alphabet to a latin alphabet will probably be a struggle to the older generation especially. Um, so yeah, we're in the process of transitioning to a new alphabet right now. Um, curious to see how it goes. Yeah, it seems like there's a lot of cool things going on in Kazakhstan, like really, like, I guess, forming a national identity and really trying to like make being Kazakh a thing. Yeah, definitely. Even, for example, so... A lot of the people who become famous from Kazakhstan, for example, GGG, the Gennady Golovkin, the boxer, his his brand identity is being Kazakh. So he would wear our national clothes to the fights, and just like um, gift the it's it's called the chapan. So he gives like the national clothes to the people he sees, and the same with we have a singer Dimashko Debirgen. He is really famous in China, actually. That's where he blew up initially. And he is, like, really good friends with Jackie Chan now. He's going all over the world for performances, getting really famous, and spreading the word about Kazakhstan. His brand identity is also being Kazakh. So, yeah, we're definitely forming a cultural identity right now and trying to put our name on the map, put Kazakhstan on the map. I mean, that's still impressive. I mean, speaking of other things that put Kazakhstan on the map, I know it's a particular set of movies that are associated with Kazakhstan. With that said, it's kind of like a two-part question. So I guess, one, what's the general reception of the Borat films? And then, two, how do you personally feel about them? So the public definitely does... uh, The general public in Kazakhstan definitely does not like Borat. But it's interesting because they haven't watched Borat and they don't realize that satire and that Sasha Baron Cohen is actually making fun of the US so there's definitely a there was a, a big backlash but especially when the first movie came out when the British Olympics they played the Borat national anthem instead of our Kazakh national anthem which was really humiliating to to be fair like it's mostly the it's not the movie that is as offensive as honestly the response of people who haven't heard of Kazakhstan and didn't take their time to do more research about Kazakhstan and then they just make all these assumptions about the country the people um just based on a movie that wasn't even filmed in Kazakhstan it was filmed in Romania so 
I think most of the people are um, displacing their anger on Sasha Baron Cohen. Uh, I mean, in Kazakhstan, because he was the one who introduced the movie. But in my personal opinion, I think um, I watched the first movie. It wasn't my sense of humor. Didn't find it too funny. But I see why people can like this kind of humor. I don't know. It was an interesting movie in terms of because it was filmed in real life he was going around the u.s and those most of the reactions are live reactions which is crazy to me to think that he pulled it off and it wasn't banned and he didn't end up in prison after all these things (laughs) just for like harassment and i don't know um so yeah i personally i'm not offended by the movie i am but it's definitely every time I say I'm from Kazakhstan and someone has watched the movie, their favorite thing is to ask me, oh, is Kazakhstan actually like Borat? And ignorance of some people is just um, disheartening because I just wish those people took the time to um, just search up Kazakhstan. Like if you go to images, you'll see how different Kazakhstan is from the movie. It just takes two seconds to do the research and it goes a long way with people's ignorance but i can't speak on behalf of like most kazakhs because most kazakhs are offended by the movie but i think kazakhs that live abroad and like kazakhs who are like still live in kazakhstan but do get to go abroad they see different parts of the world they are a little less offended by it because they realize that um there's like worse things in the world first of all and they just don't really get um, offended by the movie they just get offended by the ignorance of people who ask about the movie okay that makes sense i see how that plays out yeah i can see how all those questions about it can get tiring because honestly it, all it does really take is a quick google search you can actually learn a lot about kazakhstan and like a few couple of articles i hope this podcast really educates people a little bit more about kazakhstan too yeah i agree oh also another thing about borat so after the second movie was released and a lot of people just felt a lot of kazakhs felt so offended by the movie um it was interesting that they were advocating for like the ban of the movie so vigorously while there are so many more problems happening in kazakhstan for example domestic abuse is a really big movement right now because more women are finally finding courage to come out about their domestic abuse, which is very predominant in Kazakhstan, unfortunately. And those people don't really care, like, especially, like, unfortunately, a lot of men, they, the close-minded conservative men, they do believe that um, woman is a property of a man. And if she's misbehaving, just like, their kids they get to beat them up which in the eyes of people who have who are a little more woke i guess who just have like some moral compass they realize that that's not right and they're trying to and it just creates a clash between the conservative minds and like social justice warriors pretty much it's just like anyone who realizes that domestic abuse is not okay but uh, there's a lot of traditional old-minded people that think that a woman is a man's property 
um, which is a big problem in Kazakhstan right now. And yeah, not a lot of a lot of people that are paying a lot of attention to the release of the Borat movie don't really care about that issue. So it just like raises questions like, what do you really care about? Like, what are your values? How do you care so much about a silly movie that also makes fun of like America and politics more than actual Kazakhstan? And you don't care about like the actual problem that's happening in your country. So that was big issue this past year in Kazakhstan. I want to thank you for bringing light to that because I had no idea. Like that was a big movement that it was in Kazakhstan. Yeah, it's Kazakhstan is still a big patriarchal society. There's a lot of misogyny, but hopefully with our generation growing up and getting jobs and getting into the political positions hopefully more open-minded less conservative people are going to be the ones in charge making the laws and hopefully it will bring positive change to the country well obviously there's no like black and white what is good what is bad what's better for the country what's not but just simple things like domestic abuse having more laws against that like, obviously, it's a lot harder to protest against corruption because who is going to change those laws? Like, the government is, like, if there's corruption in the government and they're the ones making the laws, like, it's so much harder. Like, those issues are much more difficult to fight against, but small steps of just education within homes, um, just simple things because this is a law that doesn't like it wouldn't affect the government in any negative way if they just like helped out people who are getting um abused at home so yeah hopefully this will change a lot sooner than later and it doesn't wouldn't take a whole generation to pass for for the government to actually do something about domestic abuse with that said, I do want to ask, like, how is it being a young woman in, like, a society like that? Especially, like, you know, you travel to the United States, which is, you know, still not the best country. But, you know, I guess a little more progressive in nature, especially towards women and then, you know, traveling back home. Um, I would actually like to compare Kazakhstan more to Singapore. So um, I lived in Singapore for three years. And that country, as you may or may not know, it's a very safe country. The crime rates are minimal. Uh, you can leave your back on a bench in a park and it's very likely that you can come back to your purse with all the money and all the belongings inside because there's surveillance cameras. Yeah, it's very safe. Um, I, I still can't tell if it's just the government that made it that safe or the people there have also become more mindful. Um, but yeah, I used to never go out in Kazakhstan because I just don't feel safe. There's some random like 30-year-old men hating on way younger girls, which to me is a little disturbing. Um, no, it's so, a lot of disturbing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so um, it, it would just, I never felt comfortable going out in Kazakhstan, um, except if I'm going with like a group of people to like a cafe and sitting there during the day. But I have never walked alone at night in Kazakhstan because that never ends well for anyone just like walking in kazakhstan alone in general is um, pretty dangerous but 
is and especially as a female there i don't i haven't really looked at um rape cases in kazakhstan that are not domestic but it's definitely a lot uh, safer in singapore to walk alone although obviously not recommended than it is in kazakhstan because because there are no not even laws in place there are a lot less precautions taken in kazakhstan like there aren't as many cameras around there aren't like police and police can be so easily bribed even if something happened but it was not the case in singapore it is less scary to for me to walk at night in massachusetts but i would say because we live in wellesley which wellesley. is a, yeah a very very safe <laughs> town probably as safe as yeah. singapore but if i were walking alone in, in downtown boston i'd probably be a little more scared uh, but definitely, if I were to rank, Kazakhstan is the scariest. Then comes the U.S. and Singapore. But of all places in the world, I think that's just the safest for me. And and for a female to feel comfortable. Okay, that makes sense. Thank you for bringing light to that. I had no idea. And it's just, honestly, I'm from New York. So I thought of, like, leaving something on a park bench and it's, like, staying there. It's kind of <laughs> wild. Well, I also yeah. I kind of experienced that at Babson. Like, I would leave my laptop at the Babson library. It'd be fine. Like, so I guess that was just me being used to Babson, too. Yeah, definitely. No, it, it was crazy. Well, um, it, back in my school in Kazakhstan, we weren't even allowed to have technologies, so I never had that problem. But yeah, in Singapore, if you left your laptop anywhere around campus, you could come back and pick it up from the place. And if it wasn't there, someone probably brought it to Lost and Found. Um, it was that people were just... They didn't have those malicious intents. And I guess it could also be related to the GDP per capita because it is rather low in Kazakhstan, especially compared to uh, Singapore. But yeah, like in Babson, I can leave my belongings anywhere and I know they'll still be there. Although we are advised not to do that, but still do it because I have so much trust <laughs> in Babson people. is just so safe here and even walking around campus at night uh, i know that compared to a lot of other colleges babson's um harassment cases are much lower than other schools especially big schools so yeah as a female i do prefer living in areas or countries where i'd feel much safer being independent being able to walk mm -hmm. somewhere alone without like having to constantly be on the phone with someone or carrying a pepper spray with me i don't even know if those are legal but <laughs> <laughs> i don't know yeah not maybe everywhere there's like, there like a percentage yeah so it, and it's interesting that as a female i always have to think about where i could live where i could go and be safe because i definitely want to live in a place where i wouldn't fear for my life if i were to live there reside there so and i don't know if a lot of males think about safety of a place except for like obviously like if there's like an area with like a lot of guns there yeah that's like unsafe for anyone i think i know what you mean no i can like a lot of guys don't think about it like personally like something like i didn't realize that like women thought second about getting to an uber by themselves until one of my friends brought it up to me i was like oh shit that's something that you have to think about yeah which which is 100 percent the opposite for me i'm what uh five 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 six little female that 
could probably try to run, but men do have the biological advantage of being faster. So yeah, it's definitely a fear factor, especially at nights. Uh, the first time I got into a taxi all on my own, it was still in Singapore, but I was so paranoid. I had to call a friend just in case. And then I realized how safe it was in Singapore. But even in the US, I always have to share my location with my friends just in case and let at least one friend know that I'm getting an Uber. So bear that in mind. If I don't, if you don't hear from me for, for in the next few days, I was probably kidnapped. Yeah. No, I think this is it's just a smart and safe thing to do. Sort of going off of your time in Sing- like sort of mentioning your time in Singapore. So not only did you leave the country for college, but you also left it for high school. I guess how did that come about, and why Singapore? Um. Yeah. So initially, my dad never wanted to. So I have like a twin sister and an older sister. So he never wanted to let us go abroad he wanted us to stay in kazakhstan finish our high school there go to university to moscow and then uh because that's what it was popular back when he was growing up and then just come back to kazakhstan after college and just work here and spend the rest of our lives here and it was very coincidental that the um the director of the boarding house and uh head of admissions from uwc SCA, he came, they came to Kazakhstan because they had a few Kazakh students and they happened to visit our school and we signed up our older sister for an interview just to see because we, like UWC is a good school, good name and we had a few family friends who were at that school so we're just curious to see and our dad was still a little sus about letting us uh, out of the country go to a boarding school but once we visited the school we visited the country it was so safe there the facilities were amazing the education was much better like there was no single thing that like there was no reason for our parents not to let us there after they saw because there would there would have been so many more opportunities it's safer the education was so much better that even our parents were like we have to send our kids there for their for the benefits of their future so our mom was the one who actually was like pushing our dad towards uh, letting us go to a boarding school in Singapore because she knew we'd learn a lot more. We would like not just in terms of academics, but before leaving Kazakhstan, I didn't know anything, for example, about uh, the LGBTQ community um, because, as you may know, Kazakhstan is a very conserv- conservative country, so. What kids are taught when they're young is that um, being gay is an illness, it's a disease, and that's what we grow up thinking. We grow up thinking it's a disease, so just leaving the country and hearing for the first time in my life that it wasn't, it was shocking to me. And I felt that Singapore was also such a safe environment for me to learn because like, as compared to, for example, America, that's why I think there's a big segregation between the international students and domestic students, um, like in Babson, uh, except for like obviously a few. Um, but it was a s- safe environment for me if I had like those views. Like no, no one called me names for being like ignorant. Pretty much, I was ignorant. I I didn't know what was happening. But w- 
what was done is I got educated on it. I was told that what I was thinking was wrong and that that's how it is. And I'm so grateful that I was in that environment to learn all these things. Um, that like coming to the U.S. was a much easier adjustment for me. Um, so yeah, I definitely developed as a person in Singapore so much more than I would have developed in Kazakhstan around like close-minded, conservative, traditional people. <laughs> Not throwing shade, but it's definitely limiting a person's like personal growth. Um, so yeah, that's pretty much why our parents only like send us there. The boarding house was also really clean and nice. Um, education was amazing. The people were great. Uh, a lot of opportunities to then attend like prestigious universities, colleges. Like I'm in Babson. My twin sister is in Northwestern. My older sister is University of Toronto. And maybe we could have made it out of the Kazakh school. But it's not even about the universities that we made it to, but more about what we learned and how we ended up here, which is still grateful for the opportunity. You know, it's very valuable. Like, one of the things I value most about Babson is, like, the international exposure and, like, the people I met and the, the viewpoints that I was exposed to. I guess you got that in high school and you're continuing to get that in college. It's pretty great. Yeah, that's why I love Babson because it's so international. and. Like, we still get to interact with the domestic Americans, obviously. And, like, even um, although Babson is, like, also predominantly white, we have a lot of first-generation kids. So that's also, like, really interesting to hear their stories. And, yeah, I, I really like the diversity of Babson. I think it's a really cool school, but I think it's an interesting point you bring up, like the divide between domestic students and international students, because I think it's always going to be tough for people coming from new countries not to stick with what they know. And then, like, you've, like you brought up a good point, people who are raised one way. Like, if if, like if you came to me saying that like, LGBTQ people were an illness, like, you're a freshman year, <laughs> like, I don't know what I would have said to you. Yeah, I, know, I wouldn't have survived. And uh, th there was no way for me to know better, because... Um, that's what everyone around me thought and yeah i didn't like if if you googled something like that in russian that's what comes up and back then there were no there was no activism towards lgbtq community so i was just so grateful that i also got to learn about all these things in a safe environment well i also like never had anything against lgbtq com communities just i thought about oh it's an illness J just like any other like oh okay like whatever um but yeah i feel like in the u.s if someone has this opinion yeah it's a lot more unaccepting and aggressive like people don't take their time to educate the international students and as someone who understands why they think the things they think and someone who has overgrown that stage i do very much prefer taking my time and explaining it to someone even if it's like at 2 a.m we're trying to study for an exam that has happened actually uh, trying to study for an exam and i try to explain to someone that they come from a patriarchal society and and they didn't even know the meaning of the word misogyny it was very interesting yeah so it was just it was eye-opening to me to realize that it's like although the things they're thinking is not right and it is like pretty fucked up but americans um should take their time to explain more to people who come from conservative places because they're 
it's not like they want to think that they don't want to be negative about it it's just they don't know better Okay, but like in some American students' defense, maybe I'm specifically speaking to minority American students, but sometimes we're we're tired of explaining shit to people. So I guess sometimes, but no, it's a good point to bring up the extra layer of patience because sometimes people do not know better. And honestly, from running this podcast, I'm learning that like the experience, like the exposure that you get. And like I grew up in New York City, which is like one of the most diverse places ever. So I, I was exposed to. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It's definitely complex, but I see what you mean. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely, like, a very long, difficult topic for, like, another podcast. <laughs> I know, I'm, I'm glad we're getting into it. I think this is, like, a good discussion. I think, I don't know, I think no one really tried to talk about this at BAPS, and people kind of, like, try to skirt around it. Yeah, that's what I find. So, there's a big difference between um, the left-wing people and the right-wing people. The right-wing people just voice their um, controversial opinions, mm-hmm. and the left-wing people, they just, like, brush it off, they, like, don't want to talk about it. if someone is expressing their controversial yeah. opinion they're, they're just like trying to brush it off i, guess, I don't know maybe every college fre- like i don't know my freshman year was like a full of a bunch of those arguments and after that i was like i'm i'm over this i don't get paid for this i <laughs> i'm here to get my degree and get my job yeah, i see how it just gets annoying and repetitive but but yeah. honestly with that said like but a lot of my best friends and a lot of the best people i met the most compassionate people i met were international students at Babs, and so I guess so speaking more on Babson, I guess, was it easy to decide on college in the United States? Were you looking at any other countries or because your older sister was here where you just like sort of you and Ida were just like, we're going to go to the U.S. too. Oh, I remember her name. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we definitely wanted to go somewhere closer to our older sister because it like our parents would feel safer if we did that as well, because it's like very far from home. We would feel more comfortable, especially that we were not going to go to the same university as I wanted to do business and my twin sister wanted to do engineering. There weren't many colleges that, like, good colleges that we could go to with those two degrees there. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, no, as a naive high schooler, I was convinced that the U.S. was the best place for, like, future life. It, I still do believe that American university education system is, like, top in the world. I love the semester system. I love that it's more project-based rather than just, like, reading a textbook the night before an exam and, like, writing, ex- like, an exam based on material learned in the past year. I think it's very productive, but I do love the American um, university education system, so I definitely wanted to experience that for university. And I also visited the U.S. before, like, I went to L.A. and New York before applying to colleges and i really thought that america was an amazing place until i realized how big the u.s is and how different it is everywhere and i just realized that it's not the same and amazing everywhere and you just like have to find that place where you'll feel comfortable like i love boston because it's safe but on the other hand like it's kind of boring here so you can say that again (laughs) yeah and for example in new york um like i love new york and i love the life there but apparently people get burned out after a while so although i thought i could spend my whole life there i guess i wouldn't be able to i'm still gonna give it a shot after i graduate hopefully but yeah who knows so yeah i just was so set on like building my life in the u.s before but the more time i spend here the more i learn about the politics of the country the less i guess it draws me to stay here it's a good 
a good point. I guess you brought up a good point of like the U.S. being different because where you are. Because I'm sure like there's parts of the country where you could feel like you're right back home in Kazakhstan and like just very conservative and traditional. Mm-hmm. Then other parts of the country where it's just like you know Massachusetts and New York. Yeah, I I honestly love Massachusetts. <laughs> it's such a great place, like especially for international people. It has so many students as well. So off of that, I guess, how has the U.S. compared to your expectations? You mentioned, you know, maybe you don't want to build your life here, but, like, what was it about specifically? Or just, was there anything that you came, you're like, oh, it's not as great as I thought it was, or was there anything better than you thought it would be? I definitely wanted to come to the U.S. for the opportunities, because I feel like most people are, like, a lot more people are on the same playing field, like, in Kazakhstan. It's, like, a lot more weird, like... Uh, mostly connections and qualified people working and then like you have to work under an unqualified person so like it's just i know it does happen in all countries but in some countries it happens more in some countries it happens less so yeah i just wanted to come to the u.s to learn how to like be in the workforce like i wanted to get internships here see how real business works because it's such a capitalist country uh yeah um definitely the like working opportunities is what I would what I came here for uh, and I think that like the U.S. did live up to its opportunities name until I encountered the H-1B visa problems well I don't have to get it now but yeah we only get like a visa extension for one year after graduation which is called OPT and we like with my degree i only get to stay for one year and if i don't get my h1b work visa i'll have to vacate the country unless i go to grad school so it's just like a little complicated and i wish i knew it before i was applying to the u.s because it's actually pretty complicated um but still i i'm glad i came here and i because i learned so much i feel like i wouldn't be able to learn have this hands-on like more of a hands-on experience if i didn't come here no i agree obviously i'm a little biased but i feel like the bachelor's <laughs> in education is invaluable yeah for sure i um one of my favorite things about babson is that we have so many programs it just and like not just except for the prerequisites obviously like these like accounting exams yeah but I, I feel like you should get the stem extension for Mac and Tom alone. I know it was so hard. <laughs> I'm so lucky I got to pass fail it because the pandemic hit. <laughs> but yeah, well, the U.S. pretty much yeah lived up to its name in terms of me having more um, opportunities, like like working, education, and like growing as a person, being independent. Um, but. I don't think I'll have the opportunity to stay here to work afterwards just because of the legal issues, mm-hmm. which is sad, but I've prepared myself for it. I mean, one, it's smart to take the precautions ahead of time, but you really never know. And even if you do only work here for a year, the skills that you want to hopefully bring back to Kazakhstan or wherever you work will be very like invaluable. You can teach others. You can, you know, make some change. So with that being said, this is the last question which I ask every single guest. Is your migration journey over? I know you've sort of touched on this. You know, do you want to live in Kazakhstan? Do you want to live in another country? Do you want to try and find a way to stay in the U.S., live between all of them, live in another country? What does the future hold for Dina? Great question. 
I have no idea where I want to live. I know that I still want to try out different countries. Like I still want to try living in Australia. Um, most likely Sydney because it just looks the most appealing to me. I still want to try living in Europe, um, like in London or like some other country. But I just prefer living in a country uh, where I can speak the language. So like any Russian speaking or English speaking countries would work best for me. But if not, um, we'll see. Yeah, I'm like very open to where life takes me in the future. I would prefer to try out a country and realize that it's not my thing than not to check them out. So I'm still in search for my future, um, my settling point. But yeah, I, I think I will still eventually go back to Kazakhstan. I don't know if I would live there full time when I do go back there, but I definitely want to come back, give back to the country like open businesses, maybe open schools, but just like do good for the country. And who knows where I'll reside at that time. It makes sense. Seems like you have a lot of future ahead of you. And honestly, don't don't rush to it too fast. Enjoy college while you can, because it's just, it's just crazy. after Pandemic just brought light to the fact that even if we plan something so thoroughly, like it, it can, something can happen. Like you never know what's going to happen. So I think not having a set plan is actually actually good because I'm open to like anything. Like if there's an opportunity, there isn't something holding me back. Like, oh, like what if I get like a job there, then I wouldn't be able to like go to like this country at that time to like build my life there. So I think it's really good for me to keep my mind open towards opportunities right now as a young adult. That makes sense. And you never you never know what the future holds. You just have to be adaptable. Exactly. Agree with that. Anything that you want to plug or promote or any questions for me? Uh, no, I think I'm good. <laughs> Thank you so much for this talk. Um, like for even asking about Kazakhstan. Not a lot of people enjoy learning about it, so <laughs> When I, I'm a weird geography geek, and honestly, thank you for coming on and sharing. I feel like I've learned a lot about Kazakhstan. I feel like the viewers will. And hopefully they'll take back for this. Wanted to take a trip to Kazakhstan, visit the mountains, check something out. Hopefully in, you know, 20, 30 years, we can visit Dina, one of D- Dina's businesses, a restaurant <laughs> or something. Yes, hopefully. Come, I'll show you around Kazakhstan. Maybe I can finally visit other cities except for That's my true. city and the capital. And I'll try. I'll try some horse meat because, like, I, I, I'll. I'm well. I'm like the type of person who will try some cultural foods. Like when I was in Peru, I ate guinea pigs. So like, <gasps> oh you know, God. a horse is just a horse. <laughs> yeah, and the meat is already there. You're not contributing right? too much to the demand, especially if it's a one-time thing. You know, yeah, like, you like when in Rome. When in Rome. <laughs> when in Vegas. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Thank you so much, Dina. Thank you, Aiden. Have a good night. I hope you learned a lot about Kazakhstan because. I definitely did. But that still leaves the question, would you try some horse meat? Honestly, I'm like I said, I'm all for trying a little local cuisine, and Dina said it tasted good. But then again, you're always in the back of your mind, like, this is a horse. So, like, you, know, you, you, you never know. I like when you try to eat exploratively, like, if you're told what it is at first, it's like a mental block. I don't know, let me know how you guys feel about that. Like, drop me a DM, drop a comment, do what you gotta do. That said, it was really fun catching up with Dina, and this episode will round out our January. Something very excited lined up for the podcast in February, and I'm still working out the kinks. And I have some loose ends to tie up and finalize what Get Excited, because we are going places in 2021, and 
We're checking out more countries and regions off the map. As always, remember to like, subscribe, follow the podcast on Instagram and Twitter at Factor. Check us out on Clubhouse. I'm at Aiden D. Nice. Leave a review wherever you get your favorite podcast. It really helps with the algorithm more than you know. It'll, you know, boost me and get more people to know about my, your favorite show. I hope I'm your favorite show. Should I start reading the good reviews on the podcast? I think that'll be something fun, you know. Because there are some good ones there, and I just, you know, really appreciate the words that were written. But let me know if that'll be something that's interesting for you all. But thank you. Have a good one.